Welcome to a special segment-oriented episode of Audible Interlude, a G.I. Joe podcast. I am your host, Dave West, codename Phantom Triple Mega. And I am your co-host, Noel Wood, codename Crapshoot. And I'm your Cobra intern that accidentally ordered yellow lasers instead of red lasers, Hmm. codename Legion Cub. So if you've been listening along, wherever you find your podcast, you're aware that we're kind of figuring things out here. We're deciding how much content we can provide and how much we love talking about G.I. Joe answer a lot. Uh, And we're trying to do a balance between news and what we think of as segments where we talk about the past, present and future of G.I. Joe, where we look at various toy lines, various media, whatever else. And I think you guys would agree that the news has ended up over the last few months taking up so much more time than we ever thought it would. Whole episodes worth sometimes. And that's what's been happening is originally the intent of this show was we want to keep it an hour ish. And for those who have been listening for any amount of time now, you know, we regularly go way over that. So I think what we're going to start doing is there's enough new, as long as there's enough news to do news centric episodes, we're going to do those at the beginning and middle of the month. Uh, and we'll be doing our media slash toy slash collector focused episodes in alternating weeks and just see how that goes for a little while. So this today is the first of our no news because you got all the news last week this is the first of our no news segment episodes uh so again let us know uh on twitter at gi joe audible what you think of the new format what you think of splitting things up between news uh in segments what you want to hear what do you want to hear from us is there something that we haven't heard about that you want to clue us into and get us to talk about, please let us know. We're dying to hear from you guys. Uh, so that that's what's up. But Noel, Christian, we're just having a lot of fun here. Absolutely. Darn right. So with that being said, we appreciate each and every single one of you guys that's listening. Uh, every time you hit us up on social media, whether it's Audible Interlude Podcast on Instagram or on Twitter uh, or even Phantom Troublemaker or Needless Things, uh, we love hearing from you guys. We want your input. We want you to let us know. If, if we mess something up, tell us. We're not, we're not the smartest men in the world <laughs> or by far the most encyclopedic <laughs> knowledge of G.I. Joe. We, we, are, we value enthusiasm over... Uh, uh, over uh, specificity, I guess. So a lot of times, and, and and this is, you know, the whole reason I got into podcasting and writing and whatever else in the first place was to sort of jog my old brain into remembering all of this kind of stuff. So re-immersing myself into the world of GI Joe over the past couple of years, you know, all this stuff is coming back. So we, we need, we need you, uh, your listener input just as much as we need our own thoughts and opinions and whatever else. So with that being said, Noel, Christian, are you guys ready to dive into some segments? Let's do it. Just like a Cobra Frogman. Yo, Joe. 
All right. So now that we're kind of getting back on track with our content, with our segments, whatever, making time for it, basically, it is time for an all new review this month. We are taking a look at G.I. Joe, a real American hero issue 15 from 1983, September of 1983. And the reason that we're reviewing this issue is because originally we were going to review it back (laughs) in February. There is a very significant scene between Destro and Baroness. uh, So it would have fit in with sort of a love theme, but it it just kept getting squeezed out of episodes. So now it's April uh, and we're reviewing it. And this, this issue for me is a little bit of a pivotal issue, but when I threw it out there uh, and you guys got a chance to take a look at it, what were your thoughts? Well, I will say, uh, going back and re- rereading it a second time, because I read it for our February show, uh, there's there's actually a second scene that kind of would go along with the, the Valentine's Day thing towards the end of it that I was like, oh, I guess that almost kind of fits too. Um, I, uh, uh, I reread the entire run of um, the original Real American Hero probably about five years ago. Uh, and this was one of those, this arc that, I mean, the the majority of this issue involves an arc between of course uh dr venom snake eyes and quinn that is carried over from a couple of previous issues so i had to go back and reread uh those issues or at least 14 again before i dove back and and read this one again um just last night uh but uh, and and to to catch the listeners up you know last time in gi joe Dr. Venom, Quinn, and Snake Eyes were thought to be dead at the bottom of a river. Like, that's where we left off because Larry Hama had this incredible cliffhanger style of storytelling from issue to issue, which, you know, we now know he was just making it up as he went along. (laughs) Had no idea he was going to resolve the cliffhanger a month later, but my gosh, he always did it. And it's it's so hard. I mean, obviously, I've sat next to the man as he's told this story. You can check that out on the Needless Things podcast. Uh, but it's so hard to believe because the pacing, it's not, it's not just the fact that the stories are all so good and we love them so much. It's that the pacing and the momentum from issue to issue just feels like something that he's plotted out. It doesn't feel like he's flying by the seat of his pants. Mm-hmm. So and this even, one opens even within the issue itself, there are I feel like, especially in this issue, um, because I'm with Noel, this arc, story arc of G.I. Joe, uh, is something that I reread, oh gosh, ever since it's come up on Comixology Unlimited, I would say I reread these issues every year. Um, But there are little cliffhanger moments in the issue that, that keep this, maybe not on the edge of your seat, but it keeps you excited. What keeps you engaged? When I read this, I could see, like, I want to see this issue, well, this whole arc, but mainly this issue as a movie because there are so many cinematic moments to it with his writing that, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just so hard to believe that he was winging it. Yeah, the the scene, there's a scene that, like, I was like, this is from an epic action movie right here. This The, the entire scene where they're jumping ahead, where they're stealing the, the plane. It's mm-hmm. like, I, I am totally seeing that play out on a big screen. 
Well, and the the entire sequence in the plane with with the the, the back and forth with Doctor Venom, they have to keep him alive so he can fly the plane. And then as it goes along, well, there's peril within the plane. They have to start throwing stuff out. They have to start taking the plane apart just to get to their destination. Uh, hum, uh, Larry Helmuth's sense of of action and momentum is is just absolutely incredible. But we also have to give credit. Uh, Larry Helm on the script, Mike Vosberg on pencils, uh, John Daganisto on inks, Rick Parker's the letterer, Andy Yanches is the colorist, and then your editors, uh, Denny O'Neill and, of course, Jim Shooter, who who is uh, – often I feel Jim Shooter gets overlooked as a guy who deserves so much credit, not just for Marvel's success in the 80s, but for – so much of what we think of as 80s pop culture because he's the reason that Larry Hama wrote G.I. Joe. And That's... Denny O'Neill, too, I think it is is underrated too in his contribution to this and several other franchises. Yeah. And kind of helping establish those uh because Denny kind of he fills in kind of some of the, the music between the notes as far as connecting this story with previous ones by putting in the editor's notes yes. um, for the flashbacks and stuff like that. And he was that's one thing that was always kept me intrigued about GI Joe was like, all right, oh, go go see issue thirteen for this. Now I got to go get issue thirteen. Yeah, yeah, and and he it, it really was. Uh, Larry Hama gets all the credit, but it was a team effort, and and you have to have uh, visually, you have to have somebody capable of telling a story from panel to panel. And while you know, I'll admit the quality of the art in some of the issues. And, and even within some of the panels, because you had some fill-in work, very clearly you can tell there are places <laughs> in some of these issues where uh, the main penciler was not doing the work. Uh, but it, it is consistent storytelling throughout. Uh, so we open Dr. Venom and Snake Eyes coming up out of the swamp. And by the way, we, we have talked a lot about Super 7 Super 7 has to have a Dr. Venom figure in the world oh, sometime soon. It's got to happen. But here's the thing. They they already made a Quinn, but I want this Quinn. I want shorts, safari-looking Quinn. <laughs> I didn't want polar, like, cold-weather Quinn. Like, I, I haven't even bought that figure because I want this Quinn. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've got these guerrilla troops, like basically like mercenary types out in the jungle, fine snake eyes and venom. And then here comes Quinn up out of the water, like the predator. <laughs> it's a total apocalypse now. Omar. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. And they had teased a, a, in the previous issue. Cause it's not really a surprise that he's coming out. If you've been keeping up because in 14, no, no, it the shows bubbles, the bubbles coming out of the bunker. That and it says in. next month, Quinn gets his revenge. So, you know, he, you know, he's coming. Uh, which is why they didn't dilly dally. They just put it on page two. Uh, here's <laughs> Quinn rising out of the water. And Dr. Venom is so smarmy because like the, the mercenary troops are like making those cracks about like what happened to your Eskimo, how you stabbed him in the back or whatever, whatever. Which, which you know, by like the way, we, we do, we are obligated <laughs> to mention that this is the terminology of the 80s. Uh, correct. Inuit right. would be the correct term now. Yes. However, Quinn the Eskimo, directly from a song, Mighty Quinn by Manfred Mann. Yes. But, but I just love how, like, Venom is just being so na 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 about oh, it. Yeah. And then up comes Quinn behind him. 
Yeah, Venom's just the the so worst piece of trash villain. It really, I mean, he. I would put him in the top five comic book villains of like my childhood. Mm-hmm. I just I hate him, but I love him. Well, and him just being the kind of the, the, the piece that all ties us together because both Quinn and Snake Eyes want to kill him, and the other one has to pull them off of him because he is necessary to get them back right. home. Like they he's the only him. one that's going to be able to fly a plane. So, you know, first Quinn has to stop Snake Eyes from killing him, and then Snake Eyes has to stop Quinn from killing him later on. So they make their way. They Well, Quinn pops out of the water, and, and this is another thing that's interesting to note about the G.I. Joe comics is people die all the time. When fangs blow up, there are no parachutes. They just blow up. Those pilots are dust. These mercenaries, Quinn pops up out of the water and murders the heck out of them. They are dead. They're so dead that in the panel, they are colored red. I'm just, everybody in that panel is colored red. It's a dramatic effect, but still, like, is is it a dramatic effect or was it cost cutting because these are 80s comics? Well, there's a lot of cost cutting because (laughs) what's really funny about reading these G.I. Joe comics now is. A few issues after that, well, nine issues after this, uh, I mentioned on the last episode, issue 24, they introduced for the first time in the comics, the Skyhawk, and it's just white. It's just white. (laughs) And so when you see a lot of the vehicles for the first time in the comics, I guess they didn't, like they knew the vehicle was happening, but maybe didn't know all the colors or didn't have all the information about them. So they look weird. There's a really off model uh, water moccasin in yep. issue 25 well like, the issue previous to this because i was thinking it's in this issue but i just i'm scrolling through it's in 14 there's an apc that is it that, blue what is it it's it's not even the color it's the back end of it it just has like another 12 feet of apc <laughs> the rear wheels <laughs> and then in the next panel it looks fine oh yeah 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 i see yeah <laughs> And, but it is it is generally, and this is where I think you've got some fill-in art going on, because you can tell, like I said, there's certain panels where, like, you'll go through the whole comic, and Destro looks like Destro, and then all of a sudden, like, one of the panels toward the end of the comic, he's in, like, a white jumpsuit. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait, what is this? And it's just a fill-in. You know, they didn't have time to finish it, so a fill-in penciler came in and did it. And they're also uh, drawing a lot of this stuff based on probably character models that they have, just like prototype models they had from Hasbro at the time they were working on this. So yeah, yeah. they weren't even sure what the final colors were going to be. I mean, a lot of these characters weren't even like when they when the when the Baroness was envisioned, there was not a Baroness figure even in the works right. at that point. Right. Yeah. They had no idea, which is why they had to blow her up so they could put her in a different costume <laughs> to match the figure. Which is so funny because. I thought that happened before this issue. Um, and then when I reread them, I was like, oh, okay, it's not too long after this. But even in this issue, when I'm looking at the Baroness, you know it's the Baroness. It's not like she looked that drastically right, different. Right, right. So I just, I, I love comic book logic that, yeah, we have to blow her up and give her plastic surgery <laughs> so she can look just a smidge <laughs> skinnier. Well, and what's funny is is later on in the issue where she does uh, get her new uniform, they, they make a point of it. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's a thing. 
she doesn't just for no reason like oh now she's in a different costume uh so we get this great sequence in the plane we've talked about where snake eyes venom and quinn are at each other's throats but they know they have to work together to survive like it's a it's a classic great story yeah there's to me there's a classic part where dr venom because quinn is like oh i can fly what was it like single propeller planes or something like that so dr venom's like oh cool once we're we're airborne you can probably relieve me and he's like not if it means turning my back to yes you. right yeah like, oh, but venom yes. still manages to outsmart him later on right so it's like he's that conniving to where you're still like okay quinn's gonna be too smart to fall for this nope nope so we get the escape from the airfield uh with lots of great dialogue, but just Venom, just being venomous. I mean, that's, he, he is his character. He's such a jerk. He's such a, uh, smartest guy in the room and he knows it. And that's, what's so infuriating is he acts like the smartest guy in the room, but then every time it turns out that he is. Yep. Uh, so they get away from the airfield, they get the plane in the air, and this issue is very, very focused on this this story between the three of them and them escaping, but we do get some cutaways to Baroness, Destro, and Cobra Commander, and this is what's important because we really see the relationship between these three in a way that we haven't in the prior 14 issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, we and and we also get a little more of this whole. This is the other thing that that makes it so wild that Larry Hama was was flying by the seat of his pants. This whole Cobra plot that goes through the first twenty issues or whatever of the the comic book of them intentionally infecting Scarface with this virus. Mm-hmm just to get him captured by the Joes and all of the twists and turns that it takes. I mean, it's really just, uh, again, as a kid, I can't remember where I started reading the comic, but I know that it became essential to me. Uh, I feel like I would go to Kroger with my mom just to be sure I could get issues of gi joe Mm. like i would endure our weekly shopping trip to kroger to buy cheerios and meat and oatmeal and cheese and whatever else the boring an hour in kroger just to be able to go to the magazine aisle and make sure that if if there was a new issue of gi joe i got it So we get a little bit of peril later on where Dr. Venom is uh, messing with our guys, Snake Eyes and Quinn. They're going to fall out of the uh, uh, the cargo hatch or the bomb bay or whatever it is. Well, I mean, they don't fall. So Venom is telling Snake Eyes to tie something down. And this is where I go, oh, come on, Snake Eyes. <laughs> Don't fall well, are you on the bomb shoot because you need to tie this down? Let's let's go ahead and clear what? something up. Let's go ahead and clear something up right now. 
This is something that's relatively consistent in the Sunbow cartoons and in the comic. Snake Eyes is a little bit of a dumb dumb. <laughs> like he's a ninja, he's a badass commando, but he's a little gullible. He's kind of a dumb dumb. Little little too trusting. Yes. Yeah. Not the most canny of <laughs> soldiers. So, yeah, Venom tells him, hey, uh, go back there and uh, make sure the thing is in the thing. Hey, are, are you back there? Are you hey, sna- snake eyes? Snake are you eyes. standing on the X? Snake eyes. Are you standing on the bomb bay doors? Because that's exactly where I want you. And snake eyes is, I mean, he's mute, so I don't even know how he responds to that. I guess he's like knocking. He's in place and then drops him out of the plane. And Quinn, fortunately, gets there in time and uh, saves our buddy. You know, (laughs) something else I noticed rereading it these last times, um, and I'll say my Cobra Commander must dialogue for whenever we get there, but um, Marvel Comics Cobra Commander is not Sunbow. No, 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 no. No, and that's interesting because... But when you read through these plane scenes, Dr. Venom is almost written more like Sunbow Commander because he's way more grandiose, way more monologuing. And there's a bit after he gets... After he even drops Quinn out of the Bombay Doors... When they come back in, he starts doing a, oh, oh, don't hurt me. I don't know what came over me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like Dr. Smithing. Yeah, he's like, and, I'm, and I'm, it, I'm sick. I'm it, evil. Yeah. Like it clicked I, with me. Like, wait a minute. He is totally acting like cartoon Cobra Commander. Mm-hmm. And I, that's just such a neat um, juxtaposition there. Well, what, something that I noticed, uh, not until many issues later, because Duke gets introduced in issue like 22 or so, somewhere around there. I When I read Duke, I hear Michael Bell. Mm-hmm. Um, when I read Scarlet, like uh, the most of the Sunbow voice actors are what's in my head for the Joes. But for Cobra Commander... For Baroness and even for Destro, I don't really hear Sunbow when I read the comics. I I get a Scottish accent when I read yes. the comics. Mm-hmm. I, yes, and I don't know why. Well, even as a kid, um, as much as I love Destro's voice actor, who who by the way will be at Joe Fest, Arthur Burkhart, um, an unofficial member of the finest. He's he's phenomenal. But I wanted that Scottish accent, uh, which is why I was so happy when Christopher Eccleston was was playing him in the movie. Uh, but yeah, know, it's, I, it's it's interesting. I get more of the Sean Connery Scottish accent than the Christopher sure. Eccleston. Sure, sure, <laughs> that's fair. Uh, and, and you know what? As a kid, maybe that's where, maybe that's what was in my head. But it, but my brain sort of did a pick and choose as to which voices from the cartoon made it into the comics. And maybe part of it was that I was reading the comics before I was watching the cartoon. Cause I'm trying to think 
was 85 when the cartoon started? It was 83 was when the first miniseries. Was it really? Yeah, fall of 83. Okay, okay. So it would have, Duke was, I'd heard Duke in the cartoon before he made it into the comics then. Mm-hmm. Probably. Yeah. Okay. Because Duke, because Duke was originally an '83 character as a male-in. he wasn't he right. Was, he right. '84 as a regular character. Well, he's. I mean, he's in the first issue or uh, the first issue. He's in the first episode. Uh, he's in the cartoon from the beginning. Yeah, he's because he's, he's our build, main guy. Yeah, he's our he main guy around him. And then he shows up in the comic in '80. Gosh, so the one we're looking at today, I said September of '83. He he's introduced alongside Roadblock. Uh, in the in the so he wasn't introduced to the comics until the '84 toy started. Right, out. right, interesting. So I had heard him in the cartoon before he showed up in the comics. And Larry did not like that. Did not like using that character because he didn't think that he's not. He didn't use him as a leader at all. He used him how how he was kind of inve- Re- envisioned as like a top kick sergeant. Reading it now, I can tell that he mm-hmm. didn't care for the character. He was he was a hawk was larry's guy right uh all right speaking of hawk we get a scene with the joes uh gi joe headquarters deep under fort wadsworth uh we've got hawk kind of briefing scarlet stalker breaker and then uh somewhat nondescript fellow on the left like i'm not even grunt or could be grunt or short fuse or yeah yeah, there's no talent he has a very strong brow yes yes uh, so we get a little briefing here. Uh, Stalker was also like really one of the main guys from the start in this comic. And I love that. Um, and gosh, I just looking at these, I want, I want super seven reaction figures with those red collars. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh. They could do such cool things with these. Uh, and then we get major blood for the first time. This is his yes. intro. And uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like Zeke Heiling going on with guys in Cobra Commander. As yeah. There's a lot of it in 14 and a little bit in this one too. It's like, ooh, that doesn't uh, age well. But, well. but even at the time, it, it was like, I, it's interesting because in, in 1983, we're, we're well past World War II. And, and it's weird how we've come back around. And I, I don't want to get too deeply pol- political, but like, in, in 1983, there was kind of a general understanding of how horrific everything from World War II was to the point where I think there was a comfort level of we can almost parody right. that evil at this right. point. Yeah. But now we've come back around to where that evil is. I don't You know what? We're not going to get but, into that. No. But there's my second <laughs> favorite scene in the comic even more so than the baroness destro stuff so when when major blood shows up and they have him do the salute cobra commander says you know put your arm down i'm not paying you to salute me yes and and i know like if you grew up in the 80s reading licensed comic books it was like whenever they introduced characters they sort of had to like exposition dump to let you know who they are and what their role is. Right. right? Like those early issues of transformers are horrible at it. Well, look, as as a massive fan of Chris Claremont's uncanny X-Men, 
Well, true. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> so this was Larry Hama just had a great way to tell me that blood is a mercenary without having to over, you know, overly right. recite his entire file Ma- card. Major Sebastian Blood, who is a poet and a mercenary, comes exactly. from this place like a whole like a that square one at the bottom just of the panel. Told me everything I needed to know yes. about Blood. And it also told me what I needed to know about Cobra Commander because Blood isn't, Major Blood isn't just a member of Cobra. Like he, you know, and I know you have to simplify things for the cartoons, but they're letting you know he's there because Cobra is paying him. Well, he's there because Cobra Commander had to go outside of Cobra to solve his Destro problem. Right. Yes. So yeah, all and his barrenness problem. Wow, well, yeah, yeah. later on, which we get well, which we get to in the next three panels, where Destro reveals his plan to usurp Cobra Commander and Baroness. I love this because it's not. We don't get her straight up infatuation with Destro. She's conflicted. She's whatever past she has with Cobra Commander. She has loyalty to him for whatever reason. And by the way, there is an Amazon Prime show ready to go about <laughs> Baroness as like a high school student slowly getting more and more involved with like this protest terrorist stuff. Like there's a show there that I want to mm-hmm. see concurrent with a show about a young James McCullen slowly getting control of his family fortune and finding out what it means, like almost like Sons of Anarchy, but with Destro. Like, I want these Amazon Prime shows about young Destro, young Baroness, young used car salesman Cobra Commander, three separate shows that go through almost like Breaking Bad. Like, Cobra Commanders would be Breaking Bad, Destro's would be Sons of Anarchy and Baroness would be something else. I don't have anything to compare hers to because it would be we start off with this genuinely like innocent You get person. Ozark. She's uh, uh, what's her name from Ozark? Yes! She's yeah, the wife Ruth. from Ozark. She's, no, no, she's Ruth. Oh, Ruth! Yeah, she's Ruth. No, because I don't think Ruth has... Ruth didn't start from a, a place of principles. That's true. She Well, she was also... She was poor, so... Yeah. I guess that does... She's not an aristocrat. But, but it would be somebody wanting to make the world a better place and getting caught up in just the wrong ways of doing it. Yeah, she could but be winning, I guess. But imagine these three origin shows coming together... Oh, this is what's in my head. All right. So anyway, then, we then, get, you, then, you, then you get the defenders and everybody's very sad. No, we don't want the defenders because the defenders was like the most disappointing culmination ever. Um, and they learned all the wrong lessons from the MCU. Uh, so these three panels, we get this intense emotional exchange between Destro and Baroness that she is in love with. With Destro, this new, fresh, hot love, but she is loyal to for whatever their past is, however, Cobra Commander helped her become who she is today. 
she's loyal to him, but her love for Destro overrides that. Like, this is some great stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And this, this is why I wanted to review this issue, which is funny because it's such a tiny portion. Yeah. Overall, this issue is Quinn, Snake Eyes, and Venom in a plane. Right. That's why I like when, when you first mentioned this as being our Valentine's Day when I'm going through, we get halfway through it. It's, it's, this is page 17. Right. So we're like two thirds of the way through. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. It's three and, panels. And but that's what it is. It's so powerful that this scene. Well, and you got to figure too, Hasbro probably never had any inkling that Destro and the Baroness were going to be an item throughout no. like all of this. This these three panels right here, and and what we saw in fourteen as well, where she she refuses to call him Destro, she only wants to call him by his his given name. Yes, and he's like, no, you will call me by Destro, right? Um, and that's what really lays the groundwork for thirty plus years of these characters being always almost always romantically linked. So we get our critical three panels here, and then we move back to the plane story, which is uh, we get this really weird aside where they blow up <laughs> this boat. Yeah. <laughs> which the, the dumbest fisherman ever. Like, right. oh. well, I, guess, I guess they're, I guess they're smuggling contraband, but right. Right. Like, let's, let's shoot this plane. That's, 30 feet off the water and it's coming straight at us <laughs> for no reason. Uh, but the reason of course is, is to cause problems. So we have to, our, our uh, primary characters here have to start dumping stuff out of the plane, including Quinn's beloved 50 caliber machine gun. His minigun is gone. Yes. Uh, and then the seats and then panels from the plane itself. And, and we've got, you know, you get this real sense of peril from what's going on and i love this page because you have like this the 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 spot where they're dropping it all it's broken into five panels and it doesn't have to be but it just gives it like that much and there's a lot of that stuff that they were doing at this point it gives a kinetic flow yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so it, it it makes it flow better you're like okay i'm seeing this happen in real time it's not just one single panel where everything's dropping out you can kind of it feels like action Uh, so uh, then we move on and we've got this couple, the couple on the beach. Okay. I love this part. <laughs> oh, Christian said, okay. And then he froze. Christian said, okay. <laughs> and then completely just, he looked, he, he is uh, for the listeners. His face is frozen <laughs> in mid enthusiastic explanation of why this couple on the beach means so much to him. Uh, So we're going to talk about this uh, retired couple very clearly. Uh, And this fellow sees exactly what's going on with the plane, which I love. And the wife, like, it's it's kind of a sweet relationship because they're not at each other because so often in our pop culture media, when we see these older couples, they're bickering. They don't like each other. They're sick of being together. But this is like a, a, a sweet old couple kind of picking back and forth. It's right. fun. And you get to see, like, as, as everybody else in the foreground, uh, well, I guess the background in, the, in the, what we're seeing, they all see this plane coming in, and they're all running for the hills. And this guy's just telling the story about, like, oh, you know, I was in 
yeah, I saw these planes when I was in Normandy and and his wife's just like, well, it looks like it's in it's some trouble. And of course, it just lands on the beach right in front of him <laughs> while he's, she, just, he's sipping on his tropical drink. And she says, I've got sand in my drink. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the the plane comes in, lands on the beach, uh, half stripped down. They've thrown out half the panels. The whole back end is just uh, the framework. And uh, then all three of our main characters from this issue get taken into custody. But then that weasel, the, the man who the weasel spirit lives within, of course, he has uh, a lawyer there. Well, of course, they set that up earlier on where he is secretly typing Morse code back to Cobra HQ, despite the fact that Cobra Commander wants him dead. But he knows he has he has a bargaining chip. So he's able to get Cobra Commander to get this lawyer to show up and represent him. Well, and that's what's so brilliant is throughout the course of these comics, as the sort of main Cobras are dealing with each other, they all always have just enough leverage to keep going, whether it's right. Dr. Venom or Major Blood or Baroness or Destro or Cobra Commander or Scarface. Right. Who, who honestly, at some point, we could do a whole episode on Scarface <laughs> and why he needs a figure immediately. But they all just enough. I mean, it really, this, you know, I mentioned Sons of Anarchy, and a lot of this feels like that post 2000s televised storytelling that we got from the shield from sons of anarchy from where it's these villainous characters who always have just enough of an upper hand over each other to keep coexisting. Right. Uh, it, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's freaking brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So Christian, yes. you were about to, you were about to make a point about this lovely retired couple on the beach. Well, yeah. So that, that whole scene is such a Marvel Comics trope of the 80s. Yes, yes, it is. From X-Men to, to Spider-Man exactly. to whatever. And Always. usually those scenes were some kind of like Easter egg, right? It was either like the writer and the artist of the comic yes, or someone yes. who, who worked in the industry. So ever since I reread this issue the first time a couple years ago, I have done so many deep dives online trying to figure out because they make such a point to name drop yeah. these two old people and there is nothing out there about them. So <laughs> if, if this is part of Larry Hummus just winging it, congratulations because you have had me down so many G.I. Joe comic book rabbit holes. I will go to my grave wanting to know who are these two old people? Well, next what time we significance next next time we run into Mister Hama, we will ask him about these folks, and we will yes. find out what the story is because there probably is a story. Uh, so the our issue ends. Doctor, our Quinn and Snake Eyes in custody. Doctor Venom, piece of trash that he is, in a limo, lighting up a cigar, laughing that he's getting away from the near-death situation that he was in. 
and being told by the Cobra lawyer, you probably shouldn't be such a jerk. Right. And like, <laughs> that's just how I am. Like, yeah. he yeah. is an internet troll before the internet existed. And he knows that he is. Yes. And he loves it. Can we talk about our missing scene from the cover where this is <laughs> a panel that never actually happens? Because in this but one, Quinn is flying while Dr. Venom is trying to stomp on Snake Eyes' hands from the bomb hatch. But that's that's another Marvel <laughs> Comics trope where yeah. you take there is something that is very similar to what happened in the issue, but it's really not accurate. And that's the cover. I mean, that was Uncanny X-Men, Spider-Man, Avenger, like every Marvel comic in the 80s had many covers that were one and tons of G.I. Joe, uh, where it's just like, this is not how this happened. It represents the story somewhat, but it's not an exact replica of an event during it. No, I get it. I just thought it was funny because I went back and looked at it at the end. Oh, yeah, look at that. The the Dr. Venom (laughs) stomping on Snake Eyes' hand, a la sort of like buster keaton movie oh totally totally cracks me up uh so i am now going to take my order of battle podcast which by the way everybody should check out as soon as you're done listening to this that's order of battle pod.com i'm going to take my sticker from those folks put it right back here in my what is this this is marvel this is the old marvel trade paperback collection uh so this is volume two I'm going to put it right back in there to save my spot. And uh, any final thoughts about this issue? For for me, I, I am currently rereading A Real American Hero. I'm up to issue 24 right now. Uh, and it's, it's, it's delightful. I don't feel like it's a chore in any way. I don't feel like it's, it's dated in a way in that it's 80s comics, but it's not. It's not like, oh, this is so corny. It's it's great. I'm having a blast reading these over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my take on them is I, the artwork is definitely the, from that time period. That is what it's, all, it's, most of the comics it's art, had. It's art for hire. <clears throat> right. For sure. So, But if you look at story-wise, it holds up, if not is even better than a lot of the Joe comics that come out today. Uh, yeah, I so, would I would definitely agree with that because I'm I'm not I, I'm not engaged with modern Joe comics at all. I, and I also, you re- got to figure too this the stuff today has forty years of lore to build on and sure. characters that that have been established by other people. Yeah. Whereas Larry was doing all of this, basically coming up with like every one of these character bios on his own. Well, and yep. in a in a way that almost means his job was easier. True. I'm true. not saying he didn't do it very very well with excellence and he did, but he didn't he wasn't beholden to anybody else's idea of what snow job would be. <laughs> but for anybody out there that has ever thought of the Marvel comics is just being Oh, those are from the 80s. It's like the cartoon. It's not. Pick up the first couple of trade paperbacks of the classic series. Um, Basically, yeah, to get you through this whole first Cobra story arc, you'll be very glad that you did. It is Mm -hmm. really good stuff. 
And with that, it is time to move on to our next segment. Welcome to America's Elite, where we take a look at a specific character from the G.I. Joe toy line and the different iterations that it has seen over the years. Uh, This is my pick. And just like the comic that we just talked about, I originally, well, actually, I think I originally chose this back in January because it was supposed to be cold weather time. Uh, it is every other day here in Georgia. So, uh, well, yeah, that's true. Uh, that's, today, I think we, uh, it was uh, 42 degrees when I woke up this morning. Uh, tomorrow, it'll be 90 degrees outside. Right. Who knows? But regardless, we are going to be talking about snow job. Uh, our first G.I. Joe Arctic operative. And in 1983, in the second wave of G.I. Joe figures that came out, he was really distinctive in, in actually a similar way to Snake Eyes, because in Snake Eyes, we get that all black figure that, you know, we all know now was done for cost reasons. But then Snow Job we get, and he's this all white arctic trooper with this bright red beard very very eye-catching figure and came with a ton of accessories yeah it's i was always attracted to the figures that had a ton of accessories and yet somehow i never had a snow snow job as a kid really yeah never never one that wound up in my collection oh wow that's that's kind of a bummer because i remember uh you know we don't get a ton of snow here in georgia obviously but I do remember a couple of years when we did get snow, taking my Joes outside, and my big thing was trying to get Snow Job to ski down. <laughs> we had a, uh, on the, if you're facing the house that I grew up in on the left side, there was a pretty steep hill, and that was my thing. If it snowed, I would go outside, put Snow Job skis on, and try and get him to slide down that hill. And I don't think it happened even one, like he'd get like two, <laughs> two feet at most and just fall over. But that was, that was one of the big things. I love this figure. I love climate specific troops. Uh, Arctic is probably second after water or aquatic for me. Uh, but I, I just, this figure was great. And he comes with the signature Sunbow G.I. Joe laser rifle. Yep. Christian, did you have a snow job? I did not. Oh, my um, gosh. You, de- you poor deprived children. Most of, as a kid, plenty of my friends had it. And I, I'm the same as you. You know, snow figures, snow themed figures were huge favorites of mine. Um, so it is very surprising my parents never got me snow job, but I would anytime I was at a friend's house that had him, he would be one of the picks for my team. Well, and he's so great because you know he's got the skis, he's got the ski poles, but then they all clip into his backpack mm-hmm. so he can just be kind of a regular, like run around and do regular troop stuff, also like that just was- ready for action. That was always a thing that I wanted was the figure to be able to hold all of his accessories. Well, that's for, for me, even to this day, when I'm ranking, like if I'm doing reviews on the needless things, YouTube channel, 
one of the key things for me is can all of this figure's accessories be stored on the figure? Yep. And if they can, that's a big deal. And that's one of the reasons I love the classified series so much is for the most part, actually, I think the alley Viper is the first one that has kind of an extraneous, like he can hold both rifles, but nobody runs around with two rifles like that. Mm-hmm. Like he's the first one where I'm kind of like, eh, he's got a little bit of an extra piece here. Uh, but, but yes, being able to store all those accessories, fantastic. Uh, so he came out in 1983. Uh, it was available carded and then later on as a bagged mail away with the red file card. But then, of course, we have to talk about later versions of Snow Job. And you know what's crazy? It was 14 years yeah. before because rather than redoing Snow Job, they just introduced new Arctic troops. So we didn't see another snow job until 1997. And he came in the Arctic mission team, which I loved these three packs where they were kind of themed three packs. Uh, this was the, what was it, the real American hero series? I think these were called. Yeah. Real American yeah. hero collection. Uh, so he came in a three pack with iceberg and blizzard. And the only, it's basically the same as the original figure, but the only problem that I have with the real American hero stuff is that they would do this weird thing where they made the figures all look like dirty. Yeah. Yeah. He looks like he sat too close to the fire. Well, the other thing too <laughs> he looks is... like a burned marshmallow. Yeah. <laughs> this three pack uh, suffers from something that they've done recently as well, where they have card art that looks nothing like a figure, uh, not specifically with snow job. But if you look at the, if you look at that packaging, you've got iceberg and he's, it says iceberg next to the figure snow job. And that's the repaint of like the battle core outback figure. Oh, wow. But and that's then not blizzard snow job. is in snow job spot. Right. And if you, and, look but that's at not this, blizzard. Right. If you look at this, you think that's Blizzard and not Snow, uh, not Snow Job. But honestly, I'm not sure. That may have that that may have been the way that this is supposed to be when they put this together because Hasbro didn't always care. They just like, well, let's get the yeah. name on there. Um, Which, by the way, I'll just say I like this Outback repaint more than I like the actual Blizzard figure. Yeah, with the weird <laughs> <But> that- mask. <laughs> That's just my that's just my personal taste. Uh, so if if these guys were all, okay, one one of two things would have made these guys work better. If they all just had the white and gray camo that the figure in the middle has, or if they were just all white, right? The set would be better. But this snow job, like he just isn't great because he's got all this weird gray stuff on he, him. He fell down the hill and you know dug up the <laughs> snow and wound up hitting some dirt. The gray stuff is not delicious. (laughs) So 11 years after that, which, by the way, how old are we all at this point? Because, good Lord, don't think about how long that was between then and now. Oh, gosh. (laughs) So 11 years after that, we get uh, Snow Job in the... Gosh, he did. Whoa. Okay. I didn't even realize that until I was looking at it just now. Snow job 
did not get represented in the, I guess, new sculpt, Valor versus Venom, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, uh, there was no snow job. We did not see him again until the 25th anniversary 25th. figure. That's wild. So the 25th anniversary figure, uh, I think it looks great. I like this figure, but I'm a fan of a lot of the 25th anniversary stuff that people don't seem to like as much. Um, how do you guys feel about this one? So this was my first snow job figure. Sure. Okay. Um, And so I really like him. I, for the time, how they did his hood, I liked because I loved his head mobility now, when you look at it on the shelf, I'm kind of like, uh, oh, this is what so if he's missing that, that hood accessory, he looks weird. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you can't. He has the white, from, like the white cowl over his head. From this point well, on, but it's, it's a... snow job figures all have issues with how you have to be able to display him. Yeah. Um, but again, I, I still really like this figure. The only real, because I, I love the goggles, I do like the idea behind how they did the hood. Mm-hmm. Uh, the really the looking at this one, the only thing I don't love is his big giant holster. But that was very common on those figures, right? Those and time. that was that, and, yeah, and that their was, giant hands to hold their weapons. Well, that that doesn't really bother me that much. I mean, you're not wrong, but it just doesn't bother me. It's <laughs> it's to me that's the aesthetic hands. of this. But he comes with the laser rifle. He comes with the skis and the ski poles and the backpack. Like I, I this is the only thing I would change on this one, because uh, even the hood, I'm I'm fine with it. Uh, I, rather than brown, I would have his uh, his belts and all of his belt pieces be black. I wouldn't have put that brown on him. Hmm. See, I would have made his beard a little more orangey red or reddish orange to match the original figure. Then that would be the only thing I would change. So this one, I mean, pretty good. And especially within the the confines of the 25th anniversary style, they they did a good job. I I like this one. Uh, And then next up in 2009, which, as we all know, one of the biggest G.I. Joe years of all time because there was a live-action movie coming out. We get three different snow jobs <laughs> in 2009. Uh, the first one we get is essentially a repaint of the last one we were talking about, and he came excuse me, uh, came with that rock slide vehicle, which I was a big fan of. Uh, I like the rock slide, but this figure, uh, not, I don't like the color choices. I don't like his elbow joints going down into the green gauntlets or whatever. And I don't like the yeah. green gauntlets. Uh, not a fan of that with the, the very stark contrast in colors where there are visible yeah. joints. They're, they're, they were attempting to make him a little more toyetic and I get it, but it just, it just doesn't look very good. Uh, but but as far as repaints go, for for a vehicle driver, like eh, it's 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 fine. I don't. I actually don't mind the green on the belt and the straps and everything. It's just those forearms 
uh, being green looks looks really awkward and bad. Yeah. Uh, but that rock slide vehicle, like I said, I, I'm a big fan of that vehicle. I like that quite a bit. Uh, and then our next one came in a two pack. Uh, we got. I'm the actually rock slide and the yes, the not rock the slide polar battle bear. It's got a different name. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's the, they just called it both. They called it the rock slide ATAV as well. The modern version of the polar bear. It's the, actually the behind me up on the shelf, but I can't see it right now without getting up and moving and disrupting the entire show. So I'm not going to get it. I this is one of the things that I've kept mint in box. Uh is I have this two pack. So and you know what? I am going to disrupt the whole entire show because I think it's worth pulling this <laughs> thing down to take a look at. Uh, you guys, Christian, you didn't get to uh, voice your opinion of the rock slide pilot, the 2009 version four. Why don't you talk about that a little bit while I grab this box? Oh, um, okay. So this is essentially it has the same body as the 50th anniversary figure if you take off the 50th anniversary's overcoat um so other than posing issues i actually kind of like how this figure looks so you like the green forearms <sighs> okay you're right Color-wise, I have issues. I guess I'm just saying aesthetically yeah. for an updated snow figure. You're right. It would be better if if the forearms and his skull cap were white. Um, so, yeah. But, no my biggest, but my biggest beef with this mold is the legs have essentially become useless. Mm. Because that that um flap underneath the belt is the harder plastic yeah it's yeah. not a soft so enough plastic he, he can't sit at all you you can't really move his legs forward or back so he becomes a you know stand and pose so i have uh the listeners can't see this but you guys can this ridiculously large box <laughs> Uh, that includes the rock slide ATV from or ATAV from the 2009 movie uh, with a re yet another repaint of this 2008 snow job. Uh, this one has brown forearms, which are even worse than the green ones. Uh, brown straps and a brown skull cap deal. Um, Make sure that when you say from the 2009 movie, you do the Dr. Evil air quotes because <laughs> almost all the toys that came out in the tie-in for that movie never saw really any time in the movie. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, this this was in the movie. Was that in the movie? Yeah, yeah. At the okay. end of the movie when they go to the Arctic Cobra uh, base. Yeah, okay. th this is in the movie. It's It's, it's been a while. Uh, I, matter of fact, it, I would say most of the vehicles that were released for the 2009 movie are in the movie okay it's just they most did, of the figures they did were just like yeah a lot of the figures were repainted yeah yeah but yeah the vehicles most of them did appear in the movie now that they might not have looked exact 
but they they were in there. Uh, so this comes with the rock, <laughs> the rock slide ATV, and then the rock slide ATAV, which is the polar battle bear. Uh, what's interesting to note about this, uh, you guys probably can't really, well, I don't know, you might be able to see it. Uh, there are no labels on this. So presumably yeah. in this box, there's a sticker sheet and you get to apply the labels to this thing, which is very cool. Uh, but we're here to talk about the snow job figure, which very, very crisp and clean, uh, looks fantastic. A uh, little bit updated from the original which I'm going to pull up the picture now. So the original snow job has brown belts on his shoulders and his waist. This is a little different shade of brown. He's got black on his sleeve pockets uh, that the original figure did not have. Otherwise, he's pretty much the same figure. Uh, and he does is somewhere in this box. He's well, you know what? I'm looking. I don't think he does have all of his skis and everything. Let's now, uh I'm trying to pinpoint too because I didn't realize that they were still releasing any O-ring figures as late as 2009. Um this is the only one that they did. I when I got this box set, I was so excited because I thought, man, they're going to do a bunch of these. This is mm -hmm. great. This is the only one that they did. Uh Oh, he does. He comes with his skis, his backpack, he's got the laser rifle. So he does. This is there is a new reproduction of the 1983 snow job in this box with just uh, a, a little extra paint, but otherwise very, very faithful. This is a great looking snow job. As a matter of fact, he even has now his uh, pins are silver like the original figure, but his fit, the finish on his plastic looks like the new o-rings it's not the shiny plastic of the original joe's he has the more matte finish of the current o-rings which is interesting uh but yeah he looks great this is a great snow job i like him and the battle bear looks great as well like if i i would imagine this set is probably i wouldn't think it's diabolically expensive but i wouldn't think you could get it on the cheap uh, but it, I mean, this is a great, if you want a battle bear and a snow job, this is, this is a great way to get them. And that, like I said, I like the rock slide ATAV. Uh, all right. Moving on to a even more recent. Okay. We got the 2009. That's the one that came in there. Uh, 2010. We got uh, really our first truly updated snow job. This is from the Pursuit of Cobra line, which I think is one of the best G.I. Joe lines that's ever been done. Uh, this is really a, kind of a modern military-looking snow job with, good Lord, more accessories than you could ever imagine what to do with, but they all can store on the figure answer your question by the way $50 buy it now plus $15 shipping on eBay I think it's worth it hmm. I think it's a good set for that uh, so this this pursuit of Cobra snow job is wild he comes with a sniper rifle he comes with the skis the ski poles the backpack uh, he comes with like a tent uh, the backpack is not the traditional snow job backpack it's like a full kit 
bag with a radio, a walkie-talkie. He, he comes with a, a a burner and a mess plate, a mess kit, a gas can. This is crazy. I've got this figure, and I forgot it came with all this business. And it all stores on his backpack. He must be the strongest man on the planet. <laughs> I don't know. Whoever could carry that uh, Manta uh well yeah yeah the manta backpack you're right you're right the manta backpack's insane uh so i like i said i've got this guy on the shelf over here i just haven't looked at him in a minute uh what do you guys think of of all of this crazy business he comes with a lot of stuff (laughs) i was wrong earlier when i said the green forum one was the same body as the 50th anniversary this is the 50th anniversary because he came with all these accessories yeah and um yeah i uh, but then again i'm an accessory whore so i love all this well i love i love this much stuff as long as it can be stored on the figure otherwise it's going in a drawer and i'll never look at it again Uh, i love this one but i'll tell you this i would love it more if it did not have that camo pattern and I, I realize that's what modern military Arctic troops have, probably. I'll just say probably. I don't know for sure. I believe it because I think a lot of the Pursuit of Cobra stuff was gearing a little more towards modern military. Mm-hmm. I would much prefer this figure if he was just all white. And maybe he wouldn't be as toyetic, but I just think he would look better. I don't understand how big green splotches help you blend into snow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but otherwise, great. Noel, what do you think of this one? He's, uh, I mean, so I, I, I like the fact that he has a bunch of accessories that he can store. As I said, that's that's always a selling point for him. Uh, I'm, I'm still, I don't like the body construction of these figures. The When you look at him stripped down and his little bitty tiny little chest and what but nobody's displaying him like that uh, no i know but i i know but it's still it's just a it's a it's always a a sticking point for me i know he's always going to be wearing his overcoat when you display him but if if anybody has this figure on the shelf without his coat on please let us know (laughs) at uh i can't ever remember what our twitter uh gi joe audible on twitter let us know if you're displaying this sh- this snow job <laughs> just with none of his accessories and no coat on. I, um, I have so much of a love hate again with this body mold. I guess I should say. Well, but um, his coat is it's not quite long enough to completely eliminate the usefulness of his hips. But almost like I so. My Almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. <laughs> my my 50th anniversary version is what I have in my polar bear. And he's practically, instead of like sitting, he's practically laying down. I just, I get what they were going for with the more realistic military. I just hate it whenever, because it's the same thing sort of like with those hard plastic Jedi robes where you've put an overlay on a figure that now hinders their articulation. Uh, yeah. They could yeah, and, and look, like- I don't I don't disagree with you. Uh the I, I will say that I also don't like that his helmet is just on. 
Mm-hmm. I would I would have liked a removable helmet. And and that brings us to the 50th anniversary one that we were talking about that I I very much prefer. I don't have this one. Uh I do like the blue I I would prefer no camo at all, but I like the blue camo better than the green camo. I I'm not a fan of the blue camo. I think it's, it's Oh, really? Just too there's just too much contrast. It's just too distracting. Oh, interesting. And he looks okay. like he's wearing uh, like blue basketball shoes. Oh, you know what? I do have this one somewhere because I've got an Arctic bat. And this this came in a two-pack with the Arctic bat. Mm-hmm. So he's somewhere around here. Um, yeah, I, I, I like the blue. It, it just makes more sense for, for an Arctic environment for me. But otherwise, it's identical to the other one. Uh, so, yeah, that's... That snow job in the entire 40-year history of G.I. <laughs> Joe, he has only had eight figures, despite being a very popular character. Um, got some use in the comics, got some use in Sunbow, but I guess maybe because they do they did cycle through a lot of different Arctic troops, I guess they just didn't revisit him as often as some other characters well if i'm not mistaken i think didn't they use his mold yeah for a frostbite so yeah they labeled they they recolored that mold um i think oh it's gave a him a brown recolor. beard yeah uh, yeah and it's like yeah. he's wearing like a brown jacket in one of them and he's just frostbite version seven yeah he's a he's a driver mm-hmm. and yeah there's also 2000 something. 2005 v10 was also a, a a repaint of snow job so that, that that mold's been used in other ways yeah and just been misnamed yeah. i have yeah, seen I... some customizers that have done really great work um from the 25th anniversary on taking bits and pieces from all of these different snow jobs in order to make more figures that don't look like you know this is just a rehash of of snow job right um and, and it's weird when you said that we were doing him like in my head i kept thinking of all these these snow figures but you know even out of eight releases he's only had three body types yeah that's crazy i'm i'm i think i'm most shocked over him not getting a valor versus venom release at all that seems the weirdest to me uh, all right, you guys. Well, it's time to choose our favorite version of Snow Job. Uh, Christian, we'll start with you. I'm actually going with version one. A solid choice. I mean, it's it's a great figure, and it, early yep. in the line, it was something very, very different. Noel? I'm going with V1. There's just, you know, it's the one that set the standard. It was in that great 83 line where you went from just a bunch of guys in green to a bunch of specialty people that had like all these uh, specific environmental related roles and stuff. And so, yeah, he was definitely one of my favorites from that year, even though I never had him as a kid. If version seven or version eight had a removable helmet and were all white, one of those would be my pick. But that's not the case. So I, well, you know what? Actually, I'm going to go with version five, the 2009 
that came in that box set because I like the black pockets on his shoulders and he just looks a little cleaner. The O-ring version, right? Right. The O-ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. The version five, the (laughs) O-ring version. Um, He looks a little cleaner uh, and he comes with all the same accessories and everything. And he came with a battle bear. Uh, But the, excuse me, he came with a rock slide ATAV. <laughs> um, he, he just looks a little bit cleaner. So if I had to pick one for my collection, uh, I, like, I, I like that one quite a bit. He looks really good. All right. It is time to move on. Welcome to Beyond the 80s, where we look at uh, G.I. Joe toys that don't necessarily fall into that period that we're all the most fond of between 1982 and 1989. So today, we're sticking with the classic Real American Hero years. We're not wandering too much out of the 80s, but we are going to the year 1993. And if you know anything about 1993 if you were alive during the year 1993 and remember anything about the pop culture of the time dinosaurs were kind of a big deal there was a little movie you may have heard of directed by steven spielberg called jurassic park directed by who (laughs) some some guy that made a couple indie movies back in the 70s (laughs) had a little comeback at that point (laughs) so of course, Jurassic Park was gigantic, and as a result um, of that and a few other things, dinosaurs started appearing in a lot of other media. Of course, you got that with the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers that were getting big at the time. Uh, you had Barney the Dinosaur, who was on children's television, and of course, G.I. Joe had to get in on the game with the Dino Hunters mission playset, which <laughs> I'm going to tell you this right now. I wasn't collecting G.I. Joe in 1993. I was very much out of collecting G.I. Joe. I do remember, however, going into a Toys R Us. I was probably a senior in high school or maybe even graduated high school by this point because it was probably later on in the year. And I remember seeing this. This looks looks like a Christmas set. Well, I remember seeing this thing in the store and thinking, wow, G.I. Joe has a a dinosaur-based line now. And for 25 years... I presumed that there was an entire line of Dino Hunters toys, like that there was that there were probably like seven or eight sets in this line. And it wasn't (laughs) until probably about three or four years ago that I learned, oh, never mind. There's only one set. And uh, this is what we got. So and now we're going to talk about why. Yeah. (laughs) So it was a Toys R Us exclusive, came out in 1993. It contains... uh, the Dino Hunters vehicle, which is a, a repaint of the 1988 Desert Fox six-wheel drive, which isn't a bad uh, vehicle into itself. Um, it came with two figures, which were low light. And if you know anything about low light, there is the most nonsensical paint scheme for a character <laughs> called low light because he's a repaint of the 1991 figure and he's got like bright fluorescent yellow now hold on there noel if you know anything (laughs) about hunting dinosaurs you know you want to wear bright fluorescent colors because dinosaurs 
don't use their eyes, right? Well, they 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 they, they see by your movement, according to Jurassic Park. So yes. Uh, um, now you did get the other character who made a lot of sense, a character named Ambush, who I'm presuming only uh, is in there because he reminds you of Muldoon from yeah. uh, Jurassic yeah. Park. Um, and of course, he is like the concealment Despite specialist. the fact that Muldoon did not have a mustache like that and, and was wearing short pants. No, he didn't. But, but when you, when you think about Muldoon... That is one of the greatest Muldoon, mustache sideburn combos in all <laughs> of G.I. Joe. And I will say, this guy looks like his name is Muldoon. Right. When you think about Muldoon, though, do you not immediately think that guy should have a mustache? Yes, Absolutely. So you got you got Ambush, who's actually you know he's not a bad repaint. He's not uh, he's not quite as realistic as the original, but he's at least got like army colors and then some bright he's, orange he's pieces. A, he's wait wait wait. <laughs> let me let me illustrate. He's he is the dinosaur camouflage specialist, right? <laughs> <laughs> but then, good lord, he comes with eight thousand guns. <laughs> well, it's a dino. It, it's a well, I'll save it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, I'm sorry. Please continue. Well, we we then get, of course, to the crown jewel of this set. Oh, because, Lord. <laughs> because, of course, we got our vehicle uh, and, our, and our two figures, which were, of course, repaints. But you want the original toy, the one that has never been seen before in the G.I. Joe line. So we got the dinosaur. <laughs> And it's Who? not it's not even identified <laughs> as a species or anything. It's just dinosaur. Who is, I presume, supposed to be a uh, T-Rex slash Allosaurus style, you know, uh, uh, I mean, he's got the sharp pointy teeth and little that they're not like tiny short like a t-rex can, are can i can i tell you can i tell you what my first impression of this dinosaur of of i think his name is dinosaur can i tell you what my first impression of dinosaur is <laughs> is that this this sculpt he is delighted over the birthday cake <laughs> that has just been presented to him i was like he's he's been surprised and delighted he's holding his his hands to his chest like he, oh i'm so he, happy to see you he is yeah. he is squee before squee was a thing <laughs> uh so uh so yeah the um clearly a, a quick Lord. attempt to cash in on uh things that were popular in pop culture i'm gonna presume that this dinosaur was probably pulled from some like children's play line and just a quick a real quick remold i think he's made of like rubbery plastic it's, if I'm it's not mistaken. gotta be from some but look this is what's baffling to me because you look at that dinosaur you well you look at everything else in the set that's all previously existing toys and you look the dinosaur you would assume also is except that it does not look like anything that's hasbro quality at all hasbro right. has mm -hmm. never made anything as lousy as this dinosaur <laughs> so it looks like it would be like if you ever went to like there there's a uh, uh an attraction called south of the border Mm -hmm. in <laughs> on, on the uh georgia south it's georgia south carolina south one, carolina right? yeah um this looks like something that would be in a literal basket 
yep. at the counter <laughs> at south of the border. I had I had like a hundred little dinosaur toys that this reminds me of when yes. I was a kid. They were just they were hollow plastic. They had those wide open mouths like that that you could just shove pennies in. That's what I I lost many pennies that way. Sure. And he looks a little bit more solid than that. Like he looks like he's probably not completely hollow. Um, but but yeah, he definitely looks not up to GI Joe quality. Uh, well, not up thing, to anything Hasbro like, has I, ever made quality. Right. When I look at him, I if they had done something different with the paint job, could you say this? I don't think so because the way they sculpted the eyes and the, the way they sculpted those hands it's the skull the, yeah the, the, yeah it's it's, it's like, no he matter just what you you could cover him in fake blood and he's still gonna look like just this delighted happy <laughs> you got you guys were thinking about me oh my gosh thank you like, he has prayer hands He's no, I, just so happy, and then his legs are also we're 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 in in our looking at his arms and his happy eyes. We're overlooking his legs that are just kind of like sticking out of his body, right? Well, just, and I, I figure he's like teenage dinosaur because those are compared to what we're used to dinosaur legs being like. Those are very lean uh, runners legs well and he's also barely twice as big as the joe figures yeah yeah he's, he's definitely uh, uh overrepresented in both size and ferocity <laughs> in the, in the, yeah. <laughs> the box art like if they if it came with a dinosaur that looked like that this whole set i would be really enthusiastic about because the like you said the vehicle is pretty cool yeah, the figures I'm not crazy about the are, colors, but you know the the mold. Well, but is this good. this is the '90s. I right. mean, this is this is what was happening. So I can't be mad about that. Um, the figures are, you know, they're fine. Uh, the ambush is, despite his neon orange accoutrement, he's pretty solid. Actually, you know what? Overall, I like low light more than I like ambush. Hmm. I, I just as a presentation because. Rave, so rave party low light is uh, is preferable to ambush. Well, he he looks more cohesive with his fishnet shirt. It, well, who who doesn't like a nice fishnet <laughs> shirt? Um, I, he looks more cohesive than ambush because the the when you talk about nineties GI Joes, the the bright colors aren't what bothers me. The bright colors on top of regular colors are what bothers me. Like an alley viper looks right to me because from head to toe, he's cohesive. Um, the eco warriors, they're fine because from head to toe, they're the wacky colors. Even the like some of the ninja stuff that are like bright blue and pink and all that, like as a toy, it looks right. But when you have a base uniform that's khaki and drab green, but then you throw fluorescent orange on top of that. That's what's offensive to me. <laughs> and low light, like his color scheme works better together than ambushes. Yeah. I, to I, me, mean, I can to see me. your point, but uh, you know, he's, his name is low light. Well, no, I'm not saying he <laughs> makes any sense. I'm just saying, looking at it as a figure from head to toe. Right. But no, you're right. Low light should not be dressed like that. It's it's preposterous. What I do find pretty interesting, 
this is the only time that they ever did any kind of like battle in a box type of set where you actually had like reposing really? sides. Yeah, in the entire vintage line. So like, you know, we were just talking about the 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 Rockslide ATV versus well, I guess that's not that those are the those are the same team, but you you, you would later have, you know sets that were two ba- two vehicles that were battling well, tw- I mean, other. the 25th anniversary did it all the time. They yeah, did the armadillo yeah. and the claw. They did mm-hmm. the trouble bubble and the whatever. I don't remember what the combos were, but that was that was like a thing. Was, you yeah, wanted yeah. a battle pack, but you're right. In the vintage line, they Everything didn't do was opposing forces like that. Isn't that interesting? Yep, yep. And the only time they did was it wasn't even Cobra. It was battling a dinosaur it, no it, no it wasn't battling a dinosaur it was <laughs> battling dinosaur. dinosaur his name is dinosaur i mean i guess it's kind of a cool callback if you you know if you're into the adventure team joe stuff you know that's that's kind of what this is along sure, the lines sure. of like you know what would be really cool is if they just stamped a little adventure team logo on the back of that uh yeah that mm-hmm. little desert fox as a as an homage I, I you know that that would make this set about 10 times cooler on its own yeah if if you if you take this set like the vehicle and the joes and you mix that with the more realistic dinosaur toys from say jurassic actual jurassic park or uh the ones that are coming out right now that are amazing even even yeah. I think you could get away with dino rider dinosaurs well that's dino rider it, that's it what would, i'm thinking of is dino riders it, it would be it would look cool. The The problem with this set is just derpy dinosaur. It really <laughs> is. Like for me, dinosaur is, <laughs> I'm conflicted because I want dinosaur. Like I want to own dinosaur because it's so ridiculous. <laughs> but that's me being a silly person. Right. As far as being a G.I. Joe collector, this actually would be a very cool set if Dinosaur looked cool. Because I, I don't have a problem. Like, it's it, again, it's 1993. This is what G.I. Joe figures look like. So I can't, I can't really have a problem with their looks and the vehicle. Like, it's not, I'm looking at it as not so much a Joe vehicle as a specialized dinosaur hunting vehicle so it's a little different uh my biggest problem with the vehicle actually is the uh the way the wheels attach it has the two yeah that and yeah. that was a problem with a lot of those later figures yeah. is that you could well see 88 the... 88 is when that stuff started yep. to yep. pop into the line now i will say too this isn't just a straight repaint either they actually did uh they retooled it because initially there was a machine gun on the top of the original vehicle in this case they remolded uh the the like the grappling hook from the flak viper so yeah i was thinking the, the original didn't have a firing mechanism yeah, and, that that i didn't know until i was reading the joe a day entry about this particular uh vehicle but okay but yeah so that you know they they put a little bit of thought into it they didn't just like hey here's an old vehicle let's just slap a you know new paint scheme on it right and throw some and, th- and throw a stupid dinosaur at it and throw a dinosaur in <laughs> uh so if if I and I'm sure this is very expensive, uh, but I mean, if I found this for a reasonable price, I would I would want this mint in box because you have to have the box to go with it. I think right. Uh, but I mean, I'm, if I I'm found this set for right now and dinosaur just by himself 
is running about $150. Good Lord. I I don't see any boxed. uh, I don't see any um, complete inbox on eBay right now. To be fair, there's a a dinosaur up for $151.99. Buy it now. Uh, There are 15 watchers. I think they're just waiting for that price to continue dropping. Or or to get the the offer from the seller or something. Yeah. Uh, So I look. If I were a kid, because in 1993, I was 16, 17. Just to answer a question, the loose, low light, and ambush are 300 bucks right now on eBay. Whoa! (laughs) So if I were like eight in 1993, I probably would have been all over this. And, and that's an interesting thing that actually comes up from time to time. Cause like, look, I dig Jurassic park. I think it's really cool. It's an awesome movie. But if you talk to people that are around 10 years younger than us, people who are like early thirties to 35, that movie for them is a life changing, like soul full experience. Oh yeah. I mean, that was, that was a star Wars level right. movie to that right. generation. It's a di- it's a whole different thing. So like the the Joe kids that are you know ten years younger than us, this set is probably a a huge huge deal. But I I am overall I'm going to give this set a thumbs up. Oh. Update: Dinosaur sold for 179.99 with free shipping. Oh my gosh! Somebody needs to to <laughs> do a bootleg dinosaur. And I don't I don't normally endorse bootlegs, but this thing is so dumb, nobody would care. Just do a bootleg, sell it to me for 20 bucks, and I'll be happy. Right? 3D print this thing. Yeah. Or, or even injection mold. I mean, it's all one piece. Yeah, it's easy yeah. enough. No articulation. How do you guys feel looking back overall this set? I, I you know, want to go back in time and tell 1993 me, buy that stupid thing at Toys R Us that was probably, what, twenty nine ninety nine at the time. Oh yeah, wait. What was? The, did they have the MSRP on here? No, uh, they don't. No. Uh, yeah, you're you're probably right. It's probably about thirty bucks. That's probably a fair guess. Christian. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I would probably I, but I'm getting it for ambush. Ugh. that orange um all right that is the dino hunter mission wait what is uh what is low lights specialty we didn't we didn't uh mention he is the dinosaur night spotter dinosaurs yeah so they just added dinosaur to their original titles so there you go dino hunter mission playset it is time (laughs) now to move on and wrap this thing up Welcome to Knowing is Half the Babble, where we each get a little bit of time to ramble about anything. Noel, why don't you kick us off this month? So mine is not necessarily G.I. Joe related. It kind of is in a couple of ways, like uh, ancillary to G.I. Joe, because 
uh, first of all, this, this began when I was uh, going home from uh, Joe Lanta um, in March. Toilet. So, sorry, yes, Toilet Lanta, also sometimes known as Joe Lanta. Used to be uh, for, formerly known, yes. formerly known as the ridiculously unwieldy Joe Lanta and the Great Atlanta Toy Convention. It's still, and they they wisely decided to condense that. Still Joe Lanta in my heart, darn it. Um, <laughs> But anyway, so I was, we, we, my, my wife and I left, um, and ran by Walmart on the way home because she'd ordered a bicycle and I was going to buy a bicycle. And so that was our, our plan was to get bicycles. So of course it's right next to the toy section. I always got to wander through and go through the action figure aisle and go through of the clearance aisle and then always hit the Lego aisle. And they had, uh, the, um, in, the Lego Imperial shuttle, uh, from star Wars, um, which was $56 on sale. I was like, well, that's not a bad price for a set that's normally like, I think it was normally 70. So I was like, well, let me look at it. Cause if it's on sale at Walmart, sometimes you can find it real cheap on other places too. So I was like, Oh look, Mercari's got one for 40 bucks. So plus like, you know, 10 bucks shipping, it's still six bucks less than I'm going to pay at Walmart. I'm going to go ahead and, um, you know, think about that. So I put in an offer and they didn't respond. Um, but I also priced it on the like on the app at Walmart. So there's a kerfuffle when we were buying our bikes. We we Rebecca bought her bike online. We went to take our bike up to the register, and they were like, "Oh, it's three hundred and something dollars." Like, no, it's like a hundred and or one hundred and fifty or like two hundred twenty if you buy it like online. And they're like, "Well, you got to buy it online and then come pick it up." I was like, "Well, we're here. Can we get this?" <laughs> <laughs> Walmart Walmart's dumb. We finally talked to enough managers to get them to just let us take the bike home now and not come back four hours later to pick up the bike that was in our hands right now. <sighs> so long story short, finally later on that night, I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna buy this. It's like it's it's worth it to get this uh Star Wars Imperial uh shuttle for 50 bucks. So I think it was actually the next morning on Monday, I wound up placing the order. So Tuesday morning. My ring doorbell says someone's at my front door. I'm like, all right, getting a package between me, my my wife, and mother-in-law. We get packages all the time. So anyway, I open up the door and this shows up. Now, this is the Star Wars Imperial Shuttle. I'm holding it up right now. And for Christian and Dave are looking at it, there is a label on it that is clearly a Walmart pickup label because it looks just like the ones that were on our bicycles. And it yeah. says R Wood. Now, my first name starts with R, as does hers. So we don't know if this came from me or from Rebecca, but both of us don't have it showing up in our history on Walmart. It did not show up on our Walmart credit cards. And this was how it was like, it, this was not in a box. It this wasn't. Is, this <laughs> is how it was. It doesn't have an address. It was sitting on my front door. And I'm like, is this how, because this is the first time I've purchased anything through Macari, uh, aside from like one G.I. Joe thing like a year and a half ago. I was like, is this something that, is this how Macari works? It was shipping from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. It could get here in a day, but I would think it would be packed and would have my address on it and not have a Walmart label on it. So then a few days later, I look at the Macari listing and it says the seller has not shipped. So I did the thing. It was like, okay, I'm going to cancel this order because the seller has not shipped. And then they have 24 hours to respond. 24 hours later, it says your item is shipped. I'm like, okay, so now I'm waiting for a second one to show up. I still have no idea why this one's at my house. It's still a mystery to me weeks later. So UPS is tracking. All right, it says it's going to be here on Sunday. So Sunday comes along. 
It says it's going to arrive by 6 p.m. I get the notification in my email. Your package has arrived. I haven't left the house all day, but it says it's delivered on my my front step at 2.37 p.m. Nothing shows up on my camera. It's not at my front door. It's not there. I'm like, what is going on? (laughs) So... To this day, I'm still perplexed as to what happened. I went into I went onto Mercari's site and I said, "Hey, this says this was delivered. It never showed up." Mercari then just canceled the order and refunded my money. Well, the, sure, that I don't think that came from Mercari. I don't either because it's clearly got a Walmart label on it. But Is did did Walmart know? just track the fact that I searched for this thing and somehow just randomly ship it to me, but not even in a shipping? like it's this well, is a that's, item that's a that's a thing though is that some of these retailers are shipping stuff without even putting them in uh boxes now yeah well i'm still my mind's blown i was i'm still still waiting we're still looking every once in a while like let's look at walmart again and just make sure that this didn't show up it's not it's not attached to the transaction where we bought the bike it's not attached to any other transaction. It's not showing up on other out of our other credit cards. So weird. Apparently, I got a fifty dollars Lego set for free. Well, good for um, you. Um, but yeah, so that's like I said because because Mercari is a place where I initially went to buy Joe's, and because it this was initiated when I was coming home from a joke uh, a, a Joe convention. Sure. I will count it as a GI Joe story. We'll call it GI Joe adjacent. <laughs> exactly, which we do cover here on the show. Uh. So I'm going to throw mine out there. It's just dumb. Uh, So I very much want to read the G.I. Joe Saturday Morning Adventures that we covered in March. Uh, I I love it. But here's my problem. I don't know where to buy it. We have a wonderful local comic shop that is not in my loop at all. You know how when you get to our age, you have, I drive here and here. And my house is here. And this is pretty much all I do in this little, I'm for the listeners, I'm making a circular motion. These are the places I go. This is it. The, there are no comic shops in my circle. So I have to make an, a specific effort to go to a comic shop. And there are two reasons I don't want to do that. One, I don't want to go outside of my circle. Two, if I go into a comic shop, I'm going to find other comics that I want to buy. Because I'm, right now, the only thing that I know I want to read is Saga. Because it's, it's happening again. But I just want to wait until the omnibus comes out. And I, I don't want to get back into monthly comics in any way. Because they're too expensive. But I will buy... Saturday morning adventures. I got the copy we reviewed from mycomicshop.com or whatever. And it was fine, but I don't want to pay shipping on a $4 comic book every month. Well, I, and I'm not reading them on a device. I don't do that. Yeah. But double check Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. They, okay. I, I know they don't do it with all comics but i know unless it's a glitch that on my com on my kindle um sometimes whenever i'll go to buy a comic um if i'm on amazon it gives me the amazon price and then it'll give me like the kindle price and i'm like is the amazon price meaning that you'll ship me this individual issue according to this 
No. Okay. Right now, it's Darn. just saying uh, Saturday Morning Adventures number two, uh, auto delivered to your Kindle on March 30th. Okay. And that's the only option. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I just got to figure something out. Uh, I, I need to just go to the comic shop, I guess. So, anyway, that's my battle. Christian, let's wrap this thing up. Yep. Um, well, so in case listeners you didn't know, uh, I am also collecting the final faction figures that you can find in dollar stores. Um, honestly, it is a fantastic five points of articulation line of figures, um, especially for, you know, a, well, now it's a dollar 25. Uh, but anyway, so wave three has come out and they have expanded on the alien villains to now include these insect monster styles. Horr- um, so, horrifying. Yeah, honestly. I spe- um, I'm On my next day off, I'm planning to um, do some figure washing on a couple of them. Um, but anyway, so they have uh, these little spider aliens now that you get, you know, two for a dollar twenty-five. Um, there's this other like three-legged alien that shoots projectiles. So if you are looking for monster building or army building monsters for your battle force 2000 or to go with your cobra law these will fit in with that perfectly and at a dollar 25 honestly you cannot go wrong and if you happen to and if you're lucky enough to find um the mecca in the line because now they just added a second robot in this wave three um, they fit in with the Joes perfectly as well. So happy toy hunting. I'm, I'm going to throw this out there for a dollar 25. You can get yourself a terrifying uh, evil monster arachnid creature that looks way better than dinosaur. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. That's very true. <laughs> and, and, a, and an adorable like cyborg dog monster that I love. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Churro. <laughs> well you guys that's all the gi joe we've got for this episode uh i would remind everyone that our music is by andy samford of electricminnowmusic.com you can follow us on instagram at audible interlude podcast and on twitter at gi joe audible uh noel why don't you tell us a little bit about the finest the finest is an international costuming club that specializes in G.I. Joe and, of course, G.I. Joe related properties. Uh, we are, of course, always looking for new costumers, but uh, we like to you know, spend time uh, at conventions raising money for charities. We will have, a, uh, of course, an appearance at Joe Fest coming up. So if you do get to come out there, we'll have a booth and you can donate some money. But uh, even if you're not uh, able to get to Joe Fest, uh, look for us at a convention near you. We raise uh, money for a great charity called Canines for Warriors. And Christian, where can we find that wonderful photography of yours? You can find me on Instagram and Flickr.com under Legion Cub. That's all we've got for this month. Until next time, yo, Joe. Cool.
You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.